to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. Near the very end of the Old Testament, I believe there's only two Old Testament books after the book of Haggai, a short two-chapter book that we're going to be studying together as a church family the next three weeks. Uh, I'm greatly encouraged to see more and more people gathering here in the church, and I sought the Lord for a timely word in this season of our life together as a church family, and I believe he led me to the book of Haggai and to the theme, A Time to Rebuild. Uh, I certainly don't think that our congregation is in disrepair. There is uh, a tremendous amount of fruit to be encouraged by, and I am greatly encouraged, but I do believe that these next few weeks and months are crucial for our life together and that every one of us has a part to play. And so we're going to look at Haggai chapter 1. This is God's holy and authoritative word. We have just prayed through song that God would meet with us and change us through his word. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God, had sent them. And the people 
feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. We can all look back on our lives and see defining moments where God met with us in some powerful way. When Megan, now my wife, was my non-Christian girlfriend in high school, God moved to convince me that our relationship needed to change. He met with me in a powerful and decisive way. When I reached the end of high school, I realized that there was no one in my life who would say that they love Christ more because of my influence and example. And in that moment, God stirred in me a resolve for college to be different. I also can remember a time when God deeply convicted me of pride. I was in a debate with a friend, and he simply paused in conversation and said, you always have to be right, don't you, Jared? And the Spirit of God broke me in that moment and moved me to tears of repentance. Those are examples from earlier in my life, but God, in His great kindness, has continued to meet with me in very specific and life-changing ways. And I'm sure as you reflect back on your life and God's dealings with you, you can see the same in His great kindness and grace that He has not left you to yourself, but has met with you in ways that have changed your life forever. We not only have these defining moments individually, we have them corporately as a church family. I think of the sacrifices of the original church planting team, of this church in 1984. I think of our first church plant when God led us to start a new congregation in Marlton, New Jersey. I think of Miracle Sunday when our church with a much smaller budget at that time raised $1.3 million in one year for this building, which we then moved into in 1999. When we rallied together more recently for outdoor services and how God met us there and other moments. God delights to meet with his people in defining life-changing ways. And I have prayed, I've prayed that we would look back on this present season which follows a year of great disruption and upheaval that we would look back on this time and see it as a time when the Spirit of God reinvigorated and refocused our church family, when the Spirit of God stirred our spirits for the work of mission and service. Haggai was one of the prophets of restoration. Uh, the public record of his ministry, in fact, spans just a few months during the year 520 B.C., uh, starting in Late August and into December is the period of history that we have during the year 
520 B.C. But those few weeks were a defining and transformative moment for the people of God. What was the instrument of that renewal? It was the Word of God. Not a human leader firing them up with a motivational speech. It's not Jason Kelsey yelling at the Super Bowl parade that an underdog is a hungry dog. You know, it, what happened was the living God supernaturally summoning his people to action. This was the situation. So follow a bit of history here. 16 years prior to this, in 536 BC, the Persian emperor Cyrus gave permission to the Jewish people to return to Judah. And so around 50,000 exiles did so, led by Zerubbabel. By faith, they left the luxury of Babylon and returned to the place that God had promised to bless them. They cleared the rubble of the, uh, the, the temple that had been destroyed. They made an altar at that place, and they took an offering toward the rebuilding, giving gold and silver worth more than $5 million. And they began the work of rebuilding. They were motivated by the grace of God, motivated by a promised messianic king who was to come to the house of David. However, here's what happened, because that was 15, 16 years earlier. The people gradually stopped that work as they faced opposition and as other priorities consumed their attention. And so for those following 16 years, the people had all turned to private affairs. They improved their own houses but did not improve the house of the Lord. And it is to this people that God sends the prophet Haggai to say there is work to be done. Uh, this is a time to rebuild. Put God first in your life. Uh, the book of Haggai could easily be read and preached in a graceless and guilt-inducing way. The point of Haggai is not do more work harder. Uh, the point is that God is eager to bless those he has redeemed as we devote ourselves to his priorities and purposes. God is eager to bless his people. Today there is no physical temple to rebuild, but the New Testament teaches that the people of God in his church, in this local church, are the new temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, 1 Peter 2, right? This is the teaching of the New Testament. Christ Jesus, our Savior, is the cornerstone, and we are a holy temple in the Lord, living stones being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God calls us not to invest time and money and gifts into a physical temple, but he has called his people to build up the people of the church. We are that new temple. The church of Christ is the great focus of God's activity in the world and the most important institution in human history. We are the bride for which Christ died upon the cross, and therefore 
Haggai has something to say about our devotion to the church. Now, this is probably a good point to pause and confess uh, that this isn't especially a great Mother's Day sermon. Uh, Mom's happy Mother's Day. Um, I hope what's lacking in sermon content uh, related to moms is more than compensated for by the shirt that I am wearing. Uh, I join with the other pastors in thanking God for the moms of this church, and I do want to say, because it is Mother's Day, parenthetical comment, I want to call attention to the fact that men and women alike are gifted by God to play a vital role in the life and mission of the church. Every member doing its part, every living stone of the temple functioning includes the role of mothers and spiritual mothers and all women using their God-given gifts to edify and to serve others. And I thank God that our church is full of those kinds of women. We would not be the church we are today without women caring for the sick and disabled, teaching in prisons, helping widows, practicing hospitality, creating beauty, sharing the gospel, helping to lead community groups and bridge groups, using prophetic gifts, serving on the band, reading scripture, serving as deacons, administrating and planning events, praying together, ministering to survivors of abuse, bringing meals, throwing baby showers, leading Bible studies, teaching children in promised kingdom, raising their children or honoring God in their singleness, serving in our pro-life ministry, working toward ethnic harmony, serving on mission trips, and more. The list goes on and on. So moms, this Mother's Day, we thank God that you play a vital role in this church family through the ministry that God has called you to. So, parenthetical, comment done, happy Mother's Day, Haggai. What is the message that Haggai brought, which is so timely and so relevant in our day? I mean, this, as I was considering what to speak on, this is the prophet that was speaking to me, and that I felt we as a church family need to hear. First, in verse 2, God challenges their excuses. The people were not disputing that there was rebuilding work to be done, but they said, now is not the time. There is political upheaval. It's an unusually difficult time economically. It was harvest time, so they're saying the crops are not as plentiful as they expected. We first need to secure better living conditions. We have to improve our houses. We have to focus on getting the economy right again, making sure we have a decent standard of living. Then we need to focus on our savings. Yes, the things of God are important, but now is not the time. And I think if we're honest, we can relate to their excuses. Yes, Christians are called to use their gifts to serve the church, but I don't have time right now. Yes, Christians should give at least 10% of their income to the church, but these are times of uncertainty, and 
we'll have to resume that practice later. Yes, fellowship and discipleship and community are important, but in light of COVID, it's still not best to interact with other Christians. Yes, we are to do the work of evangelism, but I don't want to rush it in the relationships God has placed in my life. It is in the face of our paltry excuses and inactivity that God graciously brings the heat in verse 4. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? What's God doing? He is correcting their misplaced priorities. You seem to have a lot of interest in your own house, he says, and comparatively little interest in the household of God. Now, big qualifier, it is not wrong to have interest, to have a nice house, to seek to improve your house, so let there be no false guilt. The issue is, is your greatest concern your own house and your own comfort? Because Haggai is sent by God to declare to the people of God that there is a greater investment of your time and resources than always remodeling your home and perpetually increasing your private comforts. Ian Duguid says this in his commentary. He says, the point is that they have been quite happy to put precisely the kind of time and resources into building their own houses that they have been claiming are not there to restore God's house. That was the issue. We don't have time to serve the church. We don't have time to go to meetings. But, you know, wow, there appears to be a whole lot of time to watch Netflix shows. We don't have the money to give 10% to the church, but your spending reveals your financial priorities. God is reorienting the priorities of his people around his glory, around his glory in the church, and it is exactly what I need to hear and be challenged by. Next, what God does is inquires about their fulfillment. He does not come simply to chide and to correct, but he appeals to them, calls them to consider their ways. Verses 5 and 6 describe their consumeristic society, and it is their day is so much like our own. They never had enough. They never had enough. The refrain of verse 5 is repeated several times in this book. Consider your ways. It's there in verse 7 as well, and we'll see it again in chapter 2. Consider your ways. Examine yourself. Reflect on your life. How is life working out for you? Think about the outcome of your chosen lifestyle. Are you finding fulfillment? The people of God were busy. They were hardworking, it's clear from the text. But there was no fullness. There was no satisfaction. Verse 6, you never have enough. You never have your fill. It needs to be said, and some of you may be wondering how to explain the emptiness in your life, life apart from Christ will always leave you empty. 
And even when we come to Christ, we find that the more we try to get ahead, the more we fall behind, the more we seek satisfaction in this world, the more we are left empty. <laughs> it's like, oh, if I just had this much more money, I think money is what I need. Okay, so the government's going to throw all kinds of money at me. Does it make me happier? Does it meet my needs? Many of us, I've, I was reflecting on this, many of us are doing better financially now than we were prior to the pandemic. Not everyone, but many of us. You have free time. You have more discretionary funds than ever. You eat and drink. You enjoy entertainment. But God says, are you satisfied? Is this what you wanted out of life? The last part of verse 6 describes then the growing inflation. This picture is like a hole in, in, your, in your, the bag where you keep your money in your purse. Where does all of our money go? You wouldn't believe what we had to pay for this. Never satisfied. Left empty. Our lives are the evidence that we need the Lord. We need the gospel. We need the message of salvation that Christ died for our sins. We need God at the center of our lives. We heard it read earlier from Matthew chapter 6. What is it that we are to seek first? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we are praying that God uses this time to reorient us to be a people consumed with his glory. A people seeking first his glory and his righteousness. What God says is, you are bringing this distress upon yourself through your misplaced priorities. This is a word for us to evaluate our lives, to, to consider your ways. He says, the reason for your lack of fulfillment, verse 9, is that your own interests have been placed above the interests of God's house. And in verse 10, I find frightening Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld their dew. I don't want any of the dew and the blessing of heaven to be withheld from Covenant Fellowship Church. In verse 11, God says, I have called for a drought on the land and on your labors. It's a reminder that God is sovereign over all things all forces of nature, the economy, pandemics, the fruitfulness of our labors, the reviving winds of the Spirit. He's sovereign over it all. Now what you have in, so that's the first section of this, this text. There's both, there's both challenge and encouragement here. That's the challenge. We just heard it. Some of you came here, you're like, oh, happy Mother's Day, and then boom, there's God's Word uh, coming to us, challenging us, calling us to consider our ways and our priorities in life. Here comes then something that is glorious by way of encouragement because verse 12 and following shows the remarkable responsiveness of the people and the activity of God as they are encouraged and stirred up as his people. Here's something that I came across this week. It was, it was 23 days. I learned this in studying Haggai. 23 days from the first word through Haggai until the building started. So there they were for years going on 
with a certain way of living, and then the word of the Lord comes, and there is a remarkable responsiveness. It reminded me of you as a congregation. Hearing the word of the Lord, and there is an eagerness to respond. 23 days. We are today 21 days away from the ministry fair that was announced earlier. It is a time to respond. It is a time to rebuild. And there are two beautiful responses from all the people in verse 12. You can see that there in verse 12. First, they obeyed. All the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Obedience is not optional. And they feared the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The beginning of real wisdom in life. And then here's the good news. As the people of God reorder their priorities. God waits to be gracious to us. And in verses 13 and 14, we have a description of what we long to experience in this moment of our life together as a church. God encourages the people saying, I am with you. These moments where God gives us a sense of his nearness, where he assures us, where he reminds us that he is near and we live with a sense of that nearness. It's the Spirit of God speaking to his people saying, you are not alone. I am with you, declares the Lord. And God says that to you today. I have not only forgiven your many sins in Christ, says the Lord, I am here to sustain you. I am here to help you. I am here to strengthen you when you are weak. I am here to give you joy when your heart is heavy. I am here to energize you for the road ahead that I have called you to. I am with you, declares the Lord. And then see what happens? Verse 14, the Lord stirs up First mentioned, Zerubbabel and Joshua, these are the leaders, so they're stirred. Uh, pastors, that's a word for us. We are to be stirred up to the things of God, stirred up in our own lives. And it's also a word for any ministry leader of any kind. This begins with us, but then we see not just leaders stirred, but all the remnant of the people. It is a great mass stirring of the people of God. And this is exactly what we pray for today. The renewal of the church. A people stirred up. A people roused and wakened from their slumber. A people revived by the Spirit of God. The Lord stirred up their spirit. To what end? What does this look like? This is not an emotional frenzy. The goal of this stirring up is not a good feeling. The goal is not bizarre manifestations of the spiritual world. Verse 14, the Lord stirred up their spirit and they came and worked on the house of the Lord. Stirred up to come together, to gather and work to focus their renewed energies on the house of the Lord. I have a dream of a people collectively energized for the purposes of God and united in action for His glory. And are we as a church headed in the right direction? Yes. 
Is there more that God has for us? Yes. God is stirring in some of you this day, maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time. An intense desire. A single-minded passion to serve His purposes with your life. Ultimately, we are not, this is not the pastor calling for more Christian activity. We are not after more activity. We long for revival. And God, God doesn't want anyone in our congregation to hold back. So perhaps for some, this will be the time that you are stirred to recognize the importance of church membership in the Christian life and to formally join to commit yourself as a member with the people of God. Perhaps for some of you, you are being called and stirred by God to make church attendance a greater priority. American church attendance has been steadily declining for years, and many Christians think that they, you know, if they make it two or three times a month on average, well, then we're doing well. We need to be stirred to recommit ourselves to the priority of the Sunday service. For each one of us, myself included, there is a call from the Lord to consider your ways. Consider your ways. What does your money, your time, your affections reveal about your priorities? How is... The Spirit of God stirring your spirit toward greater commitment in His church. Mark Dever uh, has a book, uh, Sermon on Every Book in the Old Testament, Sermon on Every Book in the New Testament, Promises Made, Volume 1, Promises Kept, Volume 2. So he has a sermon on Haggai, and at the end of that chapter, uh, that sermon, he lists several questions. I want to share with you the first five questions. Uh, for a reflection from Haggai. A number of them are related to giving. One, if an objective observer looked at your bank statements from the last three months, what would he say your priorities are? Two, when was the last time you increased your percentage of giving to the church? When was the last time you thought about it, strategized for it? Three, what financial commitments keep you from giving more to your church? Four, what time commitments keep you from serving the people of God in your church? And five, in what area of your life are you holding the most back from Christ? I exhort you, don't hold back from Christ. He... He gave his life that we might give our all to him. There was a, I've heard it said, you know, and there's this kind of idea that on Father's Day, we challenge the dads, and then Mother's Day, it's all comfort and encouragement. Well, this sermon is certainly setting that record straight. But the reality is that as we devote ourselves to the Lord and to his purposes, God holds out incredible blessing for us. And so the greatest and most kind thing that God can do is to call us to consider our ways. 
is to call us to examine our lives and our priorities. God is on the move today, stirring us up for His purposes, stirring us up for His glory, stirring us up to work. Because this is the way of blessing. And so Christian, pour your energies, as I know so many of you are in so many ways, Pour your energies into the new temple of the Lord, which is the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and we should love the church and invest our lives in the church where we encounter the most exciting and important things God is doing in all the world. This is what we have in the church. And so it was a defining moment for the people of God in Haggai's day. And this same God is on the move today. Maybe, maybe this is a date and a season of your life. We've seen how God has used this past year to draw people to himself. What better way could this last extended season function than to have us now, in these weeks and months, in these days, even now, considering our ways evaluating our lives and may it be that this is a time that some look back on and say okay that's when I got my priorities in order that's when I considered my ways and devoted myself in a whole new way to the purposes of God not to earn his favor but because I have received his favor secure in his grace motivated by the great love that he has shown for me there is a real challenge before us as a church family. The remainder of this year will be crucial for our life together as a church. It will require something from each of us. But what I want to say is that God is with us. That God is stirring us up as his people to come and to work for the building up of the church for the spreading of the gospel, and for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. I can't wait to see how God meets us in the weeks and months ahead. Amen.